The second song we sang, some words jumped out at me. They were nothing new and there shouldn't be great revelation in them, but every now and then, you know, some things you've heard a million times strike you. And it was simply was, I searched the world. And then the next song we sing about, there's nothing like the Lord. There's nobody can satisfy. And what, what really struck me was, first of all, how before I, God gave me the grace to accept his offer of salvation, I searched the world in many, many ways. And none of the ways that I was searching would ever bring God glory. But he chose to, to rescue me out of that search for the world and then I was struck by, you know, if we believe that we're his child, as we sang, and that there's nothing that can fill our hearts and nothing that can satisfy us, yet so many of us, myself included at many times, we, we still grab part of the world and think we've got to somehow combine that with what Father has promised us and given to us and how futile it is because when we do that, they don't go together, first of all. So it's almost as if the Holy Spirit's influence on our life wanes as we're trying to bring something that we think will add. And it just is a bad formula. And I, I trust that that's none of us this morning. But it very easily could be that. Uh, the message I have this morning is going to be a little bit of a mixture of a few things. I shared with a couple people, most of you in here probably know that you and the elders are releasing Cindy and I for a sabbatical starting Tuesday, officially. And I want to share some things that are on my heart. And I, and I told a few people, I'd say, that's 12 weeks. So today I'm going to give you 12 weeks worth of messages. Yes. And I pray you pack the lunch. <laughs> so let's pray first. Father, I pray that you will... Speak to each one of our hearts. God, I pray you would help me to articulate clearly what you put in my heart to share. And I pray that each one of us would be able to make application uh, to each one of our lives of what I'm going to share today. Ask this in Jesus' name. I'm going to start with a verse in Philippians that has become a life verse of mine almost, almost right after I got saved. And it was really strange how it became my life verse because... I think it was a lady by the name of Denise DeLang. Many of you know Denise. But at that time in our old church, for, for whatever reason, I think they were actually making a quilt. And they wanted us to all come up with the scripture that we identified with. And I don't know when that was. I don't know the timing. Maybe I should be more embarrassed to say. I didn't really think I had a scripture <laughs> that meant anything to me like that. And this is the one I chose. And... Since then, it's taken on more and more and more and more meaning in my life. It says, I press on to take hold for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. We are all called to press on. The idea here is that you, that, that you put your hand to the plow and you just don't look back. You're going forward. That's what it means, to press on. I'm, I'm going forward. And to what? To what Christ has laid hold of me. Well, first of all, that certainly means our salvation. You know, Jesus Christ died for every one of us. The offer of salvation is made to each and every one of us. 
God called us. We didn't decide one day, gee, I think I'm going to go see if I can find God. The Holy Spirit was wooing us, drawing us. It's only by grace that we're saved through faith. We, we had to receive that gift from him. So it certainly refers to salvation, but it also, I believe, refers to a life of service. He called us unto salvation, yes, but he didn't just call us to be saved for whatever happens and whenever we go home to be with the Lord, unless he comes back first. He called us to, to be his servants like he was a servant. He's called us to live a life to bring glory and honor to him. He has called us and given us gifts. He's given us talents. And when we find those, he also gives us a passion to fulfill those things that he's called us into. And ultimately, he has called us to that incorruptible crown that we receive in heaven and the eternal life that we will have with him. So you can, I make application of all those things in my own life because for me, I can't name a date like some people can when they got saved, but I can remember a time back in, I think, 83, 1983. How many of you were born then? I'm just kidding. Sounds like a history book to some of you, I know. But in 1983, the ultimate moment that I remember, not necessarily of being saved, but I remember one night, Amber was born, we had a baby, we were living out in the country, and I remember that Cindy had went to bed, and I was probably searching the world for something to satisfy at that moment, and I laid down on the floor in the dark, said, God, if this is all there is. I know many of you have heard me say that before. This is all there is. I'm done. This isn't good enough. So in my mind, that was a turning point, but the actual beginning to understand what I was really asking for developed. In about 1984, sometime in 1984, I believe is when I was truly saved. And as I stand here sharing what I'm going to share, some of these things here at the first part of my message, some of the my brothers and sisters in the Lord here have walked every step of this path with me. Some of the founding fathers of this church, Pastor Bob, Glenn Larson has been home with the Lord, Dan Stewart, who lives down in Missouri now. I shouldn't have started naming names because I know I'll forget. Evan Johnson. The rest of you that I'm forgetting, forgive me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that shouldn't even be possible. <laughs> Johnny and Clarice, so many have been on this journey with us from day one. We got involved in a Bible study that would, in the community was a bunch of lunatics acting really crazy. Dan Stewart, Clarice's brother, basically... Really, if he didn't lead me to the Lord, he certainly did a lot of fishing until I fell in the river. It's amazing, unbelievable friends that I've had. John Nakamas isn't here today. He'd be another one of those. These men and their wives and their families have been part of our life since day one of this journey. In that scripture, it says, press on to what Christ laid hold of me. And what he laid hold of us was the calling. And as I said, the calling unto salvation, obviously, takes place. In 1992, we had spent time in Bible studies and ultimately were serving in the, what became Victory Christian Church, actually Victory Christian Center at that time, but it became the church. And in 1992, Cindy and I really did feel that there was a calling on our lives 
to somehow or other serve the Lord vocationally. But we had no idea what that could be. And we had no idea how any of that could take place. I hope that resonates with many of you because you wonder, you know that there's something been planted in your heart, but you're, you look at it and say, I, don't, I, don't, I just can't, how? I don't see it. I, I can't even imagine how this is going to work, Lord. And we did something that was sort of risky in hindsight. We just agreed and our prayer became this. God, if you open the doors... We'll try to walk through them. That was it. And in 1992, uh, Cindy came to me. I can't remember if it was a phone call or not. She says, Mike, you're going to Russia. And I know many of you have heard this. And I said, okay, what are you talking about? I believe you're supposed to go on this mission trip to Russia with Josh McDowell Ministries. I think you're supposed to go. Now, okay, the obedient husband that I am. I went up to the courthouse to get a passport, and as I was getting my papers, the paperwork for my passport, you know, and I, I was, I don't know, so forget all the stuff I confessed, it sounds like I have no faith, okay, but I don't even know if it was the Lord, but I felt like I need to get her paperwork also, and as it turned out, Cindy and I went on that first mission trip to Russia, which was followed by a number more for me. So we really sensed that God was calling us into a ministry. And I really want to encourage you with this. Next thing I'm going to share is about prophetic words. Many, many of us, we are a church, first of all, that believes the gift of prophecy is for the church today. We believe it's part of the fivefold ministry to prepare the church to do the work of the ministry. And we received, I received some prophetic words. And I just want to share a few of them with you to see what took place and how God spoke to me during this time when we're just kind of wandering and wondering what are we supposed to do, loving our work, loving the church. Um, it was an amazing time. Loved my job. And on, I'm going to give you some dates that probably won't mean anything to you. But on September 12th of 1993, this was like roughly a year after we had prayed that prayer, Chuck Porta, who many of you know, he's been here before, prophesied over me in the old church building. And the prophecy was simple. It said, you're called to break the bread of life with tears running down your cheeks. I know you've heard that many times, and that's why we figured it was a false prophet, because there was no way on earth I was going to cry in public. (laughs) Just a few months later, on January 7th, the word got a little more specific. It says, the word was contained this, a time is coming when you're going to shepherd your own flock. Okay, whatever that means. Where are we going? What's it going to look like? So that was in September, or, uh, January of 94, four months after the first word. And then I remember this time frame in here between that word and this next one I'm going to share which took place in May of 94, just four or five months later. And I think probably you can relate to this. What was going through my mind at that time was, Lord, are we missing you completely? God, are we missing what you have for us? You know, we prayed we'll walk through any door you open, or at least we'll sure try to. But I don't see how these words can possibly come to pass. I don't get it. 
And that's where my mind was. And I don't even remember what this meeting was about, but I believe it was held up in Morris. And it was a lot of Turbridge churches at this time. At that time, we were called just New Testament churches. And this room is full of people. And I, I'm not even sure if there was anybody else that's here. It might have been just uh, Pastor Stan Potter with me. But it was packed, and the seating was right up to the stage. And I was in the second row with my arms up and my eyes closed. And the guy speaking reached across the front row and grabbed my hand and started to prophesy. The only one in the whole room of about 300 people. And the prophecy went like this. And this is from a brother. I'm not even sure he's alive anymore. Keith Hazel was his name out in Can- up in Canada. First words were, Son, you are not missing the will of God. It is a time for waiting to release you into what God has already deposited in your heart and into your life. And it was like, wow, Lord, you do hear me. You do pay attention. He does that for all of us. So these prophetic words were unfolding, and I was still like, I don't know. And, uh, December 5th, 1994. Eight months later. Stan Potter is our pastor. I'm one of the elders in the church. Stan comes home from the True Bridge, or what then was New Testament pastors retreat. And Stan, most of you that probably don't know who I'm even talking about, Stan had came as our pastor after we were two years without a pastor. He had came from the mission field up in the Yukon Territory. And he lived out by the lake, so he came over to pick me up, and to take me into an elders meeting, a whole one-mile drive. And he decided to share with me a vision that he had had. And he says, I, I had it three, four times. So this is in May of 94. And the vision, I've got the whole vision. I'm not going to read it. But he said, basically, Mike, <clears throat> the Lord showed me in this vision. We were sitting in church on a Sunday morning. And there was a big horn on the right side of the sanctuary. And somehow I knew it was filled with oil. And you and Cindy were sitting in the same seat you always sat in, row three on the left-hand side. And the horn floated across the room and stopped over you. And the Lord told me that I was to anoint you to become pastor of Victory Church. So I'm going to tell the elders tonight. (laughs) I said, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. I'm going to go home and scare the tar out of my wife first. But my first reaction was, I don't get it. I mean, it spoke to my heart, because God had put something like this in my heart, not necessarily victory, because I couldn't see how that could possibly happen. It was only Stan's second year here, and he's the pastor, for goodness sakes. So you're sitting in the car with him on this whole one-mile drive, like, what do you say? Okay. Where are you going? What are you doing? I didn't say anything other than you're not telling the elders yet. That's all I said. Well, by the next summer, that took place in December, by the next summer, uh, Stan and his wife Wendy and their family were going back to the mission field up in the Yukon Territory. I believe Bob and Lynette traveled up there with them. Was that the initial trip back? Helping them move back up there. And they started 
or I started serving as the pastor about sometime in June of 1995. And then on September 10th of 1995, I was ordained through, at that time it was New Testament Church, City Hill Church, Needham Prairie, and I was set in as pastor of Victory Church. Prophetic words that I had been receiving and wondering about and trying to figure out came to pass in the way that there is no way we could have orchestrated or imagined. So here we are, 20, 26 years later. My biggest fear at that time was, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Guess what my biggest fear is today? <laughs> Lord, I still don't know what I'm doing. But here we are. But this much is still true. The verse that I shared at the beginning, I desire to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I truly believe we aren't finished yet, and I truly believe, and it's my desire and intention, I always have said, I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. I just don't want to slowly fade away until somebody has to come to me and say, Mike, you're old, and it's time to move on into the sunset. Somebody said that to me this morning. I can't remember who it was already. <laughs> so you're riding off into the sunset today. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I really, truly believe, and I want to stress a couple words here. We have not accomplished all that we have been called to do together. So, obviously, I have no intentions of going anywhere permanently. But to help prepare for that strong finish, you as a church and the elders have decided to give me a gift, a gift of rest. And that's actually the title of my message this morning, a gift of rest. And we call that gift a sabbatical. Why a sabbatical? Well, I'm not sick at least not that I'm aware of. I'm not burnt out, at least as I'm aware of. And there is no major life issue going on, although there's lots of things going on in our lives like there is in all of yours. And I absolutely love ministering in the context of victory in the church life that we have here. I love it. It's a passion that God has put in my heart. And one of the reasons I think I love it so much is I don't believe the depth of relationship that I can have with you guys could be matched in any other vocation. Now, you may not think of me this way, but I, I see people that I truly love. I truly miss when I don't see them. They're important to me. I care about them. I care about their lives. Those group of people that I mentioned earlier that have been with me the whole way could attest to that probably wouldn't have been true 26 years ago, 30 years ago. But God put that in my heart. Who could not like being a part of God rescuing lives and transforming people? I mean, talk about a great gig, huh? But even so, you know, there does come a challenge at times, in the midst of the ministry, in the midst of needs, in the midst of 
the different tasks that sometimes seem maybe way or, more urgent than they really are, that you can, like any other job, like every one of you, you can lose focus. I shared with somebody who stopped in my office yesterday, I said, you know, it's not that impossible for me to look at my desk and see my Bible sitting there and it's four in the afternoon and I haven't opened it yet. That's not good. Especially if you have an appointment at five. And I know in the natural, and as a pastor, I know that times of rest and renewal should be foundational in all our lives, every one of our lives. I know it's critical to our lives and the health of the church, too, for that matter. But you can easily lose yourself, and you don't realize the load you might be carrying. You can fall into this snare, just being transparent. You can fall into the snare that thinking you're indispensable somehow. You can't possibly do anything or go in. I mean, it's even been hard to take vacations. Not because the church doesn't want you to, because, gee, what will happen if I'm gone? That's a real prideful snare you can fall into. And you cannot even see it coming. You know, there's a term that's used in engineering, just fatigue. And fatigue, when there's pressure and tension on something for a long time, things even like steel, concrete, hard, strong plastic, let me just even add people, can become weak, and it can ultimately lead to a crash and a disaster. I have never felt burnt out. I believe Pastor Bob was there at a pastors and wives retreat. I don't know who else was there, and I don't even remember who came up to me. But it was after a session. The focus was on, you know, pastors taking care of themselves. And I don't know, Bob, do you remember who came up to us and they said, Mike, do you feel burnt out? Do you remember who that was? Yeah, that really stunk. They said that, and out of nowhere, from my spirit and soul, I just started weeping. And I have no idea. I, I look at him like, what in the world's going on? I don't know, but I, maybe I am and I didn't realize it. These things can happen. I don't feel that way. Didn't feel that way then either. But if I was, we pretty much I pretty much ignored it. And you know what? You just power on, right? You just go do the job. So I'm going to talk about a sabbatical. Because it's certainly better to be proactive in these scenarios. So I want to look at a sabbatical from the biblical concept of the Sabbath. That's really where it originated from. Anybody else have a really, really dry mouth? Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3. The idea of the Sabbath started real early, like day 7 of creation, or late on day 6. But in Genesis chapter 2, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested and reflected on his work. How many of you know that God probably didn't really need to take a rest? Right? I mean, we're talking about the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God. He probably didn't need to rest. 
but it's there. And I believe it can assume that it's there to give us a model for what God wants for his people. We need rest. We need our body, our physical body needs rest. And we see in Scripture in Exodus where God actually was giving the Ten Commandments and he declared, you know, that the seventh day was holy, a holy Sabbath unto the Lord. It became part of the law for the Old Covenant, Old Testament church. And it was really given, believe it or not, as a blessing to the people. Believe it or not, all Ten Commandments were given as a blessing to the people. All of those commandments, when followed and lived by, would bless people. It was a blessing that he gave. In Genesis, or Exodus, excuse me, 34, verse 21, he says, Six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the days of plowing and harvesting, you must rest. The word Sabbath means it's time to stop. It's time to, to um, celebrate, to leave, to put behind those things. Just, you know, take everything you're doing. You know, so God's giving a command. He says, you know, I don't want you to work harder. I don't want you to produce more. I don't want you to do more business. He says, I want you to rest. Just stop and focus on him. It's a gift from him. In Exodus 14, 21, where it says, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season of the harvest, you must not. Why would he even tell us that? Because he knows human beings, right? We're too busy. I'll rest. I mean, gee, I am guilty of that. I don't need to rest. We just go on. Just keep going on. We're not under the law. No, we're not under the law. But you are a human being, and you have a physical body. You have emotions. You have a soul. All of these things. We're in a world that just can suck us dry. Because you need to rest. So let's rest. And I believe part of the reason he was so clear on this, he knows we need to rest to do the work of our calling and to do it well. Most of us realize we've got some talents, we've got some stuff. He's given us some gifts, we get that. So we figure we can just power on in our own strength and we can just do it. And some of us are really good at that. And some of us may even get by with that. But I want to exhort us and encourage us, you'll never achieve what he actually has for you in your destiny and calling unless we do take some rest. We'll give our very best, but I believe by his grace we could do better. So going on, we see it at creation, the Sabbath. We see it at the giving of the law. And then I want to share with you, and I'm probably going to, maybe I'm going to take just a little bit more liberty in my application than is clear in Scripture, so I'm giving you that heads up going in. But this really spoke to me as I'm preparing to go on this sabbatical. In Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 4, The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter into the land, now they're into the promised land, that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. The land must observe a Sabbath. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather the crops. But in the seventh year, 
The land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. As I read that verse, I think the land needed to rest. The land needed a Sabbath. Six years, you sow, you prune, and you reap. But on that seventh year, don't do anything. The land needs to rest. Because God knew that that land needed to rest, it needed to lie fallow for a year, so that it could continue to produce. Without the rest, the land would be basically become worn out and become useless. They didn't have all the agricultural technology that we have today. The concept of fertilizing and all of these things that we do to keep the soil producing optimally. God knew for the people's own good, the land needed to rest. But then reading Leviticus 25.20, and I thought this would be just a logical question, right? Well, Lord, what will we eat in the seventh year? if we don't plant or harvest our crops. I'll send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. For three years. Feed you the the sixth year. Feed you the seventh year. The eighth year, you can sow your crop, but it wouldn't be till the end of that eighth year you'd be able to harvest the food. So basically, the Lord is saying, "This, this is a blessing to all the people. We're going to let the land have a Sabbath. We're going to let the land lie fallow. And I am going to provide all that you need in abundance. And I don't believe just to survive. I believe for the people to continue to thrive as they were obedient unto God. The land was to be set aside. God provides. And it's interesting, and this has nothing to do other than this is the kind of stuff that I like. If you would read further in Leviticus 26, starting in verse 33, this is a time where God is telling the people, you're going to go into 70 years of exile. And he takes and makes the point, because you've, done, you've ignored my laws at that time, and the land has not had a seven-year seven-year Sabbath, While you're gone, I'm going to make this land fruitless so the enemies that capture the land aren't going to want to even plant anything and it's going to get 70 years of Sabbath. Anybody else think that's cool but me? I just think that's amazing. Makes you wonder about maybe resting. But just like with the soil, and this is where I'm going to take a little liberty maybe, as I go on a Sabbath, this is the first time I've done anything like this, and we're into the 26th year. And, you know, if my, if I were to be totally honest, I'm sure there's a little bit of my ego, a little bit of my pride, a little bit of my self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is like, this is what I do. They can't get along without me. Thank you for not laughing. Just you, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> You see the snare you can fall into. I believe with all my heart, just as the Lord provided for Israel, and not that I'm anywhere near that important, 
But this church has been blessed and is prepared for the sabbatical. The elders in this church are amazing men. Amazing men. This church has leadership in my mind like no other. And I hear that from brothers who go to other churches and they come back and say, yeah, you guys are blessed. And it's true. We have staff here that is awesome. Pastor Bob, Pastor Casey, Cindy Barnes in the office. Cindy, you know, runs the place most of the time. They're not going anywhere. And they are prepared to minister to this body. We have trained volunteers. We have people that have volunteered in all these areas of ministry to carry on the work of the ministry. And then we have the entire body, because as Scripture makes clear, it's to be the body that does the work of the ministry. I am so excited because I truly believe that I am going to come back, hopefully a different person in some ways, and the church is going to be a different church in some ways. It's exciting to me to see all that can take place. You know, if you need something and I'm gone and you might call me normally, call Cindy Barnes, call Pastor Bob, call Pastor Casey. We have everything set up on who's going to do what. We're, we are not going to ignore the needs of the church in any way, shape, or form. The elders are picking up areas to do different things. And we believe that there are so many gifts and talents that have maybe been just kind of ignored in the body of Christ Maybe by the leadership, but most likely even in your own looking at yourselves. That you can say, you know what? It's time to step up. The Lord's going to prompt you to step up. Use your gifts. Participate in the work of the ministry. It's going to be an awesome time. I put this scripture in, which is very familiar to most of you in Ephesians chapter 4. As I said earlier, we are a church that believes that these five-fold ministry gifts are for today. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Well, one of the reasons we believe this is for today because we don't see people that have met that last qualification. We believe this is an ongoing process. And those gifts that are given to the church to build up the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And that's all of us together doing the work of the ministry. And it's one of the most amazing things about the church here that I get to be part of on our leadership team. We have a body that's doing the work of the ministry. Most of you maybe don't get to hear about all the things that are going on outside the walls of this building by you guys. I only get to hear a fraction of it because you don't do it for praise or recognition or glory. You just do it. You know that you're called by God to share your faith, to minister to the needs of people. What a, what a privilege it is to be part of a church that embraces the body doing the work of the ministry. I really believe, and it's taken me a while, quite frankly, to get to this place with my attitude, attitude towards the sabbatical. My idea was, I don't need one of those. That's for those guys that get burnt out or have heart attacks or get into immoral sin or whatever. Um, praise God, by his grace, none of those have happened yet. And I have no intention of them ever happening. But I do believe it, it will be a benefit to not only myself and my family, but to the church. 
We are going into days, and if you were here when uh, our brother Clem Ferris was here and shared, he, he shared a powerful prophetic prayer and word over this church and Cindy and I. Yeah, a lot of powerful words in that. I believe it'll be an exciting time. I'm starting to embrace it because I have to. It's close. It's coming, coming soon. Um, I've convinced Casey she doesn't need to change the locks on the doors. Keeps threatening. I don't think they think I can stay away. But my first requirement is to disconnect. Elders have made this clear, and it really is primary purpose of a sabbatical like this, to disconnect from the routines, the responsibilities, and the requirements associated with pastoring victory. I assure you that if certain emergencies would happen, I'm a phone call away, and we've talked about that. Uh, to intentionally set aside time for restoration and renewal. You know, I think all of us can get into this trap of busyness, and pastors are no different, that we may not even at times realize that there are things in our life that God wants to deal with, things that he wants to do some surgery on, that he wants to renew us and refresh us and restore us. My job to intentionally set, a set aside time to grow in intimacy with Jesus. And I hope you see this applies to all of us. I know all of you don't get a sabbatical. I'm sorry. But how about that time? Just to connect in a deeper way with Jesus. Be all of our heart's desire. But we're all living in a busy world, a busy culture. And I believe for the pastor to do the Lord's work the way the Lord wants it done, you can only do so much in your own strength. And by his grace, he won't destroy it. But we all know the scripture that says, unless the Lord builds the church, unless the Lord builds the church, we labor in vain and try to build it. None of us in leadership, and I hope none of you want to labor in vain in building Christ's church. And I think we all understand the importance of building a solid, biblically solid, built on the foundation of the word of God, driven by the Holy Spirit, the importance of this in the days we're living in, it's astounding. We all have that responsibility. And it's also up, up my responsibility on this sabbatical is to really find time to just allow the Holy Spirit to bring whatever cleansing needs to be done. Surrender, brokenness. You know, before I was a pastor, Chuck Porta prophesied that word over me. It's going to be a wonderful season, brother. A season of brokenness. And then more brokenness. And more brokenness. And it really wasn't that fun a prophetic word to receive. I'll share it with anybody who wants to receive it. But you may remember that Clem was here, one of his words. It's going to be a season of surrender. Surrender, laying things down. Renewal, restoring even greater hope and even greater passion. I don't even know what that could look like. I feel like I have that passion. But I know my heart has nowhere near the passion for his church that I do. And I'm hoping he will deposit more of that in me. And the result of this time, I'm really trusting that God will do all these things. 
and I'm believing that I will return with a fresh vision, and I will return to a changed church, and I will be returning to a church that is prepared to finish strong. Well, my finish strong is different than the churches. The churches is going to go on until Jesus comes back. But we all need to be, have that attitude. I am going to finish strong. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So in the weeks ahead, people keep asking me, are you going to come to church? What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I know I won't be here next week. We've got to go to a relative's wedding up in the city, so we'll be up there. I do know, so nobody tattles on me. I will be doing a couple of weddings that I have committed to and I'm really looking forward to uh, in, in June. So we'll be doing that. We've completed all the counseling and all of those things. So we'll be doing that. Um, we may, maybe I'll get to travel some. Uh, most of you know, uh, Cindy's mother is 100 years old and her health has really deteriorated in the last two months. So I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Um, so we'll see. Will we come to church here? I get asked that all the time by people. Are you going to show up at Victory? The answer is yes. And if they say when, I go, I don't know. We'll see. One of the things we want to do is have the opportunity, if it's possible, to visit some other churches to see what they're doing. Maybe steal some ideas. Who knows? So um, those are some of the things we'll be doing. So as I conclude here, I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank the church. You weren't necessarily involved in the decision, but without this group of people and the elders knowing you, um, I couldn't do this. I, I, I want to thank the elders for not only uh, approving it, but for in, encouraging me and strongly encouraging me at different times that this is the right thing to do. You know, when you think about the gift that I'm being given, it's really a gift of time. And when it comes right down to it, time is the most valuable thing we have. Right? So this gift of time is this gift of rest. I just thank you. And you'd think I was going to die or something. I don't know what the deal is here. But thank you so much. Let's pray together. If the worship team wants to come up, that would be awesome. Lord, I thank you that, God, you have given us new life, and it's a life that we are called to surrender to you, that we can, we can give you all of us. Lord, it's really not about you giving us more of you. You want all of us. And I just thank you, Lord, that you are building a church here, the church that makes a difference, a church that wants to fulfill a vision and calling that you've called this church to. Lord, we've, we've been just so blessed by your love for us, your provision for us as a church. Lord, I look so forward to these next number of weeks when some other men and some ladies will be sharing anointed messages that you're putting on their hearts for this season in the life of this church. And it'll be a great time. I just pray, God, for those things that have been spoken over Cindy and I and this church, that they would come to pass, that you would use these next weeks in our lives as a, as a couple and as a church to bring glory and honor to you. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay seated for just a minute, if you will. I want to share something uh, with the church. I feel like maybe I should know a little bit about just the meeting that we had on Wednesday night with the elders. We just had an awesome time with Pastor Mike reflecting on some of this and had a fantastic time of prayer. Um, 
God is at work. He's moving. There's, there's no doubt about it. And a real picture that God gave me during that time was, um, it's kind of funny because I just saw it so clearly. And what I saw was the smile on Mike's face as we're removing shingles from this old house. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm closing my eyes, praying, seeing, seeing Mike's smile in this and, and just reflecting on who in the world would put shingles on top of shingles on top of shingles, right? There were three layers. And <clears throat> as we were praying about this, um, yeah, Alan just said later on, you know, I, he heard in that God seeking or speaking that uh, Pastor Mike was going to experience God removing shingles, layers of shingles, layers of burden. It wasn't anything doctrinally, anything correction or, or anything like that, but God is going to be removing layers of burden off of this man, off of his wife as they continue to lead the church, and he was actually going to be, guess what happens next, putting a stronger, lighter layer on for him to be able to finish well. So um, some of the words that we've heard in the past are uh, along the lines of... Um, uh, Pastor Mike coming back with a new job description, and I think that that is tied to those burdens that, that are going to be released. The, the job description he has today, the way he views it, there's just a tremendous amount that he's responsible for here. Uh, so as our, as our leader, we just appreciate his willingness to be transparent, to, to step out in faith, and, and really to let God um, do the work on him. And so one of the other things that happened in the last uh, week or two, one of our elders, uh, my dad, John Nakama, said, hey, um, <clears throat> maybe we should pass the hat around. Maybe we should take up a little collection and, and uh, make sure that Mike and Cindy have enough to, to do traveling and, and stuff like that. And um, holy cow. I mean, you've heard Pastor Mike talk about the generosity of this church. And uh, we were, as elders, just frankly blown away at the way the church responded uh, to that call. So um, we, uh, we have a little collection here for you. And, um, and I don't know if it's appropriate or proper to, to give the number, but it's so um, such a demonstration of the generosity of this church. I feel like I need to share it. There was $6,000 that came in. And so you better come up here, Cindy, because... Oops. Rest well. 